wanted to focus on this just one verse today as we talk about the life of Joseph. And remember this period of time that Joseph is in, it's, a, it's an awkward time for him. It's a very difficult time because it's a time of trouble. I mean, we, we've already kind of gone through his life story, how his brothers uh, were jealous of him, sold him into slavery. He goes into Potiphar's house, uh, works his way up, is falsely accused of something he did not do and is thrown into prison where he is languishing and still he makes the best of a difficult situation, works his way up. He meets the chief steward. Sometimes we, we say to people, it's not what you know, but it's who you know, right? And so he's figuring, I might have a way out. I know a guy that has complete access to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of Egypt. This guy can get me out. He, and remember, there are two dreams that occur because there's two servants that are in prison with Joseph. There is the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And both of them have dreams. They're troubled by them. They go to Joseph, and they, say, they tell him the dream. He interprets it for them. He tells the chief uh, cupbearer that Pharaoh's going to restore you in three days. You're going to be exalted in your position, and you'll be putting the cup in Pharaoh's hand. The baker sees that it's a good interpretation, so he turns it back, uh, and he says, Hey, uh, you gave a good interpretation to him. What about me? And he tells him his dream, and then Joseph says, Sorry to disappoint you, but you're going to die. You're going to be executed, and that's what happens. The chief cupbearer is exalted while the chief baker is executed. And then the chief cupbearer goes back into Pharaoh's employ, and he forgets about Joseph. And Joseph's here languishing in prison and and not being able to move, not being able to do anything. He is completely, in essence, the dark spiritually. He's in this holding place, and and yet he still trusts in the Lord. And I'm reminded of a story of a man who uh, came home late one night and it was completely dark, the power had gone out, and yet as he made his way through the house, he did so effortlessly without having any light whatsoever. Why? Because he'd walked that house so often in the light that when it came time to be in the dark, he knew his way. The same is true with us and with Joseph. When you learn to walk with God in the light, you can still walk with Him in the dark. But you have to learn to walk with Him in the light in order to know and navigate your way in the dark times of our lives. So today, I want us to see what it looks like to how to trust and navigate in times of darkness. How to walk with the Lord when times seem tough, when life is not going the way that we want it, when we are really struggling, when we're dealing with pain, we're hemmed in, hedged in, can't go anywhere. How do we trust in the Lord during those times of trouble? So let's pause for a moment to ask God to bless our time together, to open our hearts, to show us what he wants us to, to, to uh, the truths that he wants to teach us. Lord, speak to us. You have given your servant Joseph for our benefit, to show your faithfulness, to show how to trust in you uh, when life is difficult. Speak to our hearts today and, grow, and bring us closer unto you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as we get into this uh, part of Joseph's story today, I have a couple, uh, three props that I've brought on the platform. The first is a telescope, and this is actually to, for my first point. As we're going through times of trouble, the first thing that we have to remember in order for us to really trust in the Lord is we have to, we have to change our perspective and understanding what's going on around us. See, with the telescope, you can see things afar off. It, it reminds me of Copernicus. Copernicus, uh, the great uh, astronomer, he's the one who uh, had said that the earth revolved around the sun. Even though the popular teaching at the time, the theory said that the 
sun revolved around the earth, and they would just take Copernicus outside and put their arm around him and say, Copernicus, love you, brother. But look, the sun comes up in the east, goes up in the sky, and it goes in the west. The sun revolves around us. And he's like, no, you've got to change your perspective to see that the earth is actually revolving around the sun. Now, see, if we're to understand the trouble that we're in, we have to change our perspective. We need to see things from God's point of view. Not just from the, the standpoint of the temporal, but the eternal. Because God is doing something in your situation and in your life and in you that you may not be able to see right now. You have to understand that. I mean, and oftentimes we don't understand, but see, that's where faith comes in. Joseph didn't understand everything that was going on, yet he had faith. Job, here's a great example. Here's a man that is the, a pawn between uh, Satan and, and God the Father. And yet, he doesn't know the reason why he's suffering, why his family's been taken away, why his health is going down, uh, why, why his children had been killed. But yet, he was to trust in the middle of it. He had to change his perspective to trust in the Lord and not in our own understanding. Doesn't the proverb teach us that? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on what? Your own understanding. Why? Because we're limited. Our perspective is limited. But when we look at things from God's viewpoint, we can say things a lot differently. We have to employ that telescope to show us. But how do we change our perspective? How do we see that? How do, how do we change that perspective and see things the way that God wants us to? Here's the first step. This is letter A in your notes. You need to remember God's faithfulness. You know, I shared this in the first service. Some of you, uh, last week, Joel Bedall filled in the pulpit. I heard he did a great job. I want to thank him for that. And excited for their family as they're expecting their fifth child. Uh, excited. Number five. And I was, I, Joel and I have known each other for 20 years, a long time. And, and what many of you don't, may not know is that some of you might know that he has a brother, Tim, who's the uh, campus pastor at the Sugar Grove. But there was another brother named Chris. Uh, he was the oldest son. He was killed in a car accident his senior year of high school. And it shaped and molded both Joel and Tim's lives in pretty amazing, uh, amazing ways and traumatic ways. But one of the things that I remember talking with Joel is that his brother's death did not turn him away from God, but actually drove him closer to God. And I said, Joel, what was that? Because he, he remembers coming home. If I remember the details correctly, he was in seventh grade. His brother did not come home that night. He thought his brother was in big trouble. And he goes, I'm getting ready to get on my bike to drive to school. And there's the police at my house. His brother had been killed. And he said, in the days and the weeks that followed, my youth pastor came over almost every day. And he opened the word of God with me. And he, in verse after verse, word after word, God is good. God is loving. God is good. And he goes, I had that within me, just reminding me that God is faithful, that God is, is faithful. God is good. He loves us. And see, for us to change our perspective, we have to go back to the bedrock foundation that God is faithful. God is faithful to you. No matter what you're going through, some of us might say, God, where are you? And the struggle that I'm having right now, I might feel alone. I might feel destitute. I might feel abandoned. But go back and say, God is faithful. He's working a situation in your life, in your situation that you may not understand. That's what Joseph did. He relied on God's faithfulness. Even in the middle of prison, he has nowhere else to go. He's still reminding of God's faithfulness. And that faith is played out to the point where he becomes a hall of famer for faith that he had such a faith, dramatic faith in God. So we have to remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's faithfulness. 
The second thing we need to do, and this is more of a personal thing from the experience of being in a time of trouble, is we need to rethink our counselors. Rethink our counselors. Now, interestingly enough, the proverb states that it's through many uh, counselors one wages a successful war, meaning you've got to get a lot of different ideas and opinions. You can't just do it by yourself. However, you can go too far where you have too many counselors, too many people that you rely on rather than on the Spirit of God. And you need to be able to hedge that in. Because when you're going through a difficult time, you know, you pick up the phone and you call that person, then you might call another person, another person. And, and I've had people just walk up to me and start sharing their problems right off, and they don't know me from Adam. And I could share anything in the world they wouldn't know. And we need people to speak, will speak truth into our lives. Because see, what happens is, when we share what we're going through, we have a way of saying it in such a manner to make the person sympathetic to us where they will agree with whatever we say. For example, you could go and say uh, up to someone and go, I, my, my, my spouse hates me, they're a real jerk. And they go, yeah, they are, divorce them. Well, that's not good counsel. Or is it biblical counsel? And you're going to have those people that speak into your life. And I've seen it time and time again. And you've got to learn to what I call hedge the table. Hedge the, hedge the people. Only bring in a few people that will care enough about you to speak truth to you that you can trust what they're going to say. And they're going to tell you what is up, even if it hurts. They're not going to spare your feelings. And we need to make sure that we rethink who we have as counselors in our life when we are dealing and trying to have God's perspective. Because, you know, not everyone out there is going to have God's perspective on it. You're going to have that. You're going to have conflicting people. And they're going to say, you know, that's great, but... That's great that you're trusting in the Lord, but... And you have to say, no, I've got to come back. I'm going to trust. No matter what, I'm going to trust. Because when you ask two or three different people what their opinions are, you're going to get ten different solutions. Because you're always going to get that. So we need to rethink our counselors, who we're listening to, people that we can trust. And another thing we have to do is we have to rein in our imagination. Now, you wonder what Joseph was going through after he talked. Again, it's not about what you know, it's who you know, right? And he's thinking, I got... I have the, the chief steward here. He's going to be going back into Pharaoh's employ. He can get me out. Hey, hey, you know, I gave you that dream interpretation. You know, I'm not asking anything in, the, uh, in return, no financial compensation, except maybe you could just talk to Pharaoh for me because there's no reason that I should be in here right now. And maybe the, Pharaoh, maybe the steward's like, sure, I can do that for you. And you, you wonder, you wait, and he's like excited. Okay, he's going back to Pharaoh, man. Later tonight, I'm going to hear tonight. I'm going to be getting out of here tonight. Okay, maybe not tonight. Okay, everybody's in bed. All right, how about tomorrow night? Tomorrow night? Tomorrow night? All right, maybe not this week. Maybe, you know what? Pharaoh's birthday party's going on. I forgot about that. Okay, uh, it's going to be about a week. Maybe next month. And then months turn into years. And what do you do in those times? Those are the times of waiting when our imagination runs wild. You ever had that happen? We start wondering what's going on, what's going on, what's going on, what's going to happen, what's going to happen? As a kid, when I would get into trouble, one of the things I hated was is that I knew I was going to get a spanking. And, and my mom would say, you have to wait until, you know, he comes home. And it was like four hours. And I knew that a spanking was coming. My imagination would go, so I'd go in and go, I'd like it now, please. Because <laughs> my imagination was running wild. We have to learn to rein it in, especially as Christians. Because God's given us the ability to control our thoughts. That's why we are to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be, uh, but be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind as we think God's truth, as we think God's thoughts. 
And we can only know God's thoughts when we read the Word of God. So that's what, we have to rein in our imagination because it is a powerful tool. Next thing we have to do is this, and this is a hard one. Resist easy alternatives. Resist easy alternatives. Now, this doesn't necessarily apply to Joseph. It, it can, but Joseph doesn't have anywhere to go. He still continues to trust in the Lord, but for many of us in a time of trouble, and if it's, if it's for character's sake that we're in this situation, the longer the pressure is sustained, the more likely we are to cave and compromise. And we find easy alternatives. Just like I mentioned before, you might be in a difficult marriage, and someone says, just get out. God wants you to be happy. You'd be like, okay, that's the easy. That's the easy shot right there. We have to resist the easy alternatives. No one ever said it was going to be easy. If God's going to lead you, God's brought you to it, he's going to lead you through it. And so we have to remember that, to resist easy alternatives. Joseph couldn't do that. Joseph didn't have a chance to get out of his predicament, and, and some of us may not as well. But I found that if there is an easy alternative, even if it's against God, we will take it. And we'll deal with the consequences later. And we'll say, well, someone will say to you, oh, it's a sin, and you'll say, God forgives sin. And then you continue, you do it, thinking you, knowing you're going to be forgiven. That's not right. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Sin is deadly. We don't willingly enter into that knowing we're going to be forgiven. It doesn't work that way. So we have to resist those easy alternatives when we're dealing with our, in a change of our perspective. And the next thing that we need to do, and we've, we've looked at this, this is about our perspective. But this one, this one. Now, this is a postcard. It says what? Wish you were here. Wish you were here. Because the idea is, is that someone's someplace that you are not right? Now, couples in the house, been married for quite some time. When you were dating, did you sit really close to each other in the car? Did you ever do that before bucket seats? You had those long bench seats and you sit real close to each other. And then maybe you got married and you cuddled. Then kids came and further and further and further apart. It just started happening. And then one day, the wife looks at her husband and goes, hey, remember when we used to sit really close to each other in the car? And he says, yeah, I do. And she goes, what happened? He goes, I didn't move. She did. Now, the thing is, is when we're dealing with God, we're often saying, God, where are you? And the reality is, is that God hasn't moved. We have. And God is sending us this card saying, wish you were here with me. Wish you were here with me. Be with me. Come back to me. And see, what we do, if we're to get through this time of trouble, we have to make sure that we are cultivating his presence in our lives. Cultivating his presence, inviting him in. God, God's saying, wish you were here. It's not, now, sometimes God is there and he's in the shadows in a way. And, and it's the time of silence that faith really must take part. But a lot of times when we feel this, the quiet, it's because we have moved. That's not always the case, but oftentimes it's because we have moved and God's inviting us back to himself. And he's saying, cultivate my presence. Now, how do we cultivate God's presence? What do we need to do in order to cultivate his presence? The first thing that we need to do is this. We need to make sure that we learn how to work the word. Work the Word. Here's what I mean by that. We have to know the Word of God and the promises and the truths in the Word of God so that we can allow the Word of God to speak to us in the midst of our situation. Here's what I mean. I often hear people say different things, stuff like this, and stay with me. I hear people say, it's impossible. Well, God says in Luke 18, 27, all things are possible. We say, I'm too tired, Lord. God says, 
I will give you rest. Matthew 11, 25, 28 through 30. We say, nobody really loves me. God says, I love you. John 3, 16 and John 13, 34. We say, I can't go on. I can't do this. It's too much. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. We say, I can't figure things out. God says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I will direct your steps. We say, I can't do it. God says, I am able. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. We say, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to go on. It's not worth it to give up this much. God says, it is worth it. Romans 8, 28. I'll give you all things. We say, I can't forgive myself for doing that, Lord. God says, I forgive you. 1 John 1, 9. Romans 8, 1 as we read earlier today. We say, I can't manage it, God. I don't have what I need. God says, I will supply all of your needs. Philippians 4.19. We say, I'm afraid. God says, I, will, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. 2 Timothy 1.7. We say, I'm always worried and frustrated. God says, cast all your cares upon me, for I care for you. 1 Peter 5.7. We say, Lord, I don't have enough faith for this. God says, I've given you enough faith. Romans 12, 15, 12, 3. We say, God, I'm not smart enough. God says, I'll give you wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. We say, God, I'm all alone. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Hebrews 13, 5. So we've got to know to work the word. We need to know the word of God. We need to know the truths and, and the words within the word of God. And we can't do that unless we study and read the word of God. Because when we study and read the Word of God and let God read us, then we can, we can get through and we can cultivate His presence because the will of God is often revealed in the Word of God because God is not an author of confusion but he, and He does not contradict Himself. And He reveals a lot of times what we are to do through the truths and the principles that He's placed within this wonderful, life-changing, awesome book. Now, we are to work the Word, but we're also to learn to wait on the Lord. And this is the hardest thing to do. How many here is a great at waiting? How many of you here are great at waiting? Anybody great? Wow, you are brave people. <laughs> I'm just waiting now to see who else responds. Because none of us really, some of us are better at waiting than others. Uh, I mean, I'm not great at waiting. I'm not great at waiting in line, especially at the DMV or Social Security office. That's where, that's seriously, you want to be sanctified and I say, Lord, sanctify me? He's going to send you to the Social Security office. What he's going to do? Send you the DMV because you're going to you're going to learn how to wait and process. It's it's hard. Why does God say time and time again and in His Word, wait on the Lord? Why does He repeat that over, over, and over again? Wait on the Lord. Why? Because we're impatient. We want to go on and do our own thing. We want to, we're like, okay, enough, God. You're not operating on my timeline. I'm going to go do it myself. And then what happens? We mess it all up. We have to go back and fix it again because we didn't wait on the Lord. We have to be careful and when we're waiting on the Lord because sometimes we can wait so long that when God does bring the answer, we don't recognize that it's God's hand working. It's like the story of the guy who, uh, who was a really religious man. He lived nearby a river. And maybe you've heard this story. Uh, it's nothing new. 
But it's of this guy, he, uh, the floods came, the river over, I mean, the rains came, the river overflowed, uh, it flooded its banks, it started coming up around the house. And so the man uh, climbs up on the top of his roof, and a guy comes by with a boat, and he goes, here, come and get in the boat. And he says, no, I can't, God's got me. Uh, I'm waiting on the Lord. And he goes, okay, and he leaves. And, and the waters continue to raise. And then he gets uh, up on the top of the crest uh, of the roof. And uh, another boat comes by and goes, get in the boat. And he goes, no, I'm waiting on the Lord. Uh, he's got me here. And the guy goes, okay. And then the, the waters rise again, and he gets to the very top. He's climbing on the top of the chimney, and now a helicopter comes and puts the ladder down. And, and the guy yells down at him, here, get in the ladder. He goes, no, God's got me. And then the guy pulls up, goes away, and then the waters come, and the man drowns. He goes to heaven in the presence of God, and, and God looks at him, and he looks at God, and he goes, God, I was waiting on you. He goes, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. <laughs> Didn't you get it? See, we, sometimes we fail to recognize what God's hand is doing. We have to learn to wait on the Lord and, and make sure that when he does send those things to us, that we learn to recognize it when it's there. Now, the next thing that we need to do, if we're, we need to work the word, wait on the Lord, but we need to also worship. Now, this is a very scriptural principle. God says time and time in his word, worship me. Worshipfully, praise the Lord. Praise Him with the clanging gongs and the cymbals. Praise Him with the dance. Praise Him. Praise Him. It's just praise. Praise again and again and again. Why? Because it's in the process of God's being worshipped that He communicates His presence to us. And when we need to cultivate His presence, that's the time where we have to say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I don't know, but I'm going to worship You now, Lord. I'm going to worship You. I, I don't understand what I'm going through, but I'm going to praise Your name. And I'm going to sing your name. I'm going to praise. And then that's when God begins to speak to us. Some of the most powerful times in my life when I'm going through something very deep and dark, it was in the process of just worshiping in a church service that God would speak to me, that God would encourage me, that God would give me a word that I needed to know to go on. So we have to make sure that we are cultivating his presence. That means uh, working the word, waiting on the Lord, and worshiping him. Now, I come to the the next little item, it's a small one. Now, believe it or not, this is a palm tree. It's a little palm tree, but it's a palm tree. Now, I'm going to give you the point, and then I'm going to explain what this palm tree means. If we're to get through this time of trouble, it's going to require us to cling to God's promises. Cling to God's promises, right? Now, how does that apply to this little bitty palm tree? Well, I don't know if you've ever uh, remember the story of a woman named Petra Nemkova. She's a Czech model. She was vacationing in Thailand in 2004 when uh, something happened. You remember what happened in 2004? The tsunami came. The tsunami came. She was vacationing in Thailand, and the tsunami came, and it ended up killing 200,000 people in 14 different countries. And she was there with a, a guy, she, a man she loved. She was very merry. I remember correctly the story. I can't remember all the details. But the tsunami came and came in and then washed him out to sea, and he drowned. And they didn't find his body for several days. Now, what's amazing is what happened to her is that as she was being pulled by the water, she grabbed a hold of a palm tree. She clung to that palm tree for eight hours. She had a broken hip and broken pelvis. She had internal injuries that were going on, but she clung to that tree with all of her life not letting go because she knew that if she let go, no matter what happened, that she would die. 
So she clung to that tree. No matter how broken, no matter how much she was hurting, she held on to that tree. That tree, in my mind, symbolizes the promises of God and how we are to cling to them. We're to cling to God's promises like she clung to that palm tree. When times are tough, when, when the floodwaters are coming in and pulling us out to sea and tearing out our lives, that we have to cling to God's promises just like that and not let go. And what are those promises? I've read many of them, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that we can trust in him no matter what, that he will be there for us, that his power is made perfect in our weakness, that his grace is sufficient for us, that he loves us. That are, these are some of his very great, great and precious promises. And our future is as bright as it has been said as the promises of God. And the sun never sets on the promises of God. And so no matter what we go through, we can know that he is there and that he has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Now, how do we cling to his promises? I mean, what does that tangibly look like? I'm going to give you a few things. Here's the first one. Preach to yourself. Here's what I mean by that. Um, Preach to yourself. It looks like this. And it's actually a very biblical concept. You can see this in Psalm chapter 42 and in Psalm chapter 43. And this is what we read. The psalmist is talking to who? Himself. He's talking to himself and he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Why, soul? Soul, why? Preach, Lord. I know that you got it, Lord. Help me, because I'm not feeling it right now. I'm struggling. Preach to your soul. I mean, how many of you, and, and you can admit it, it's a safe place. I won't tell anybody. How many of you ever talk to yourself? Talk to yourself, right? right? You guys are all crazy. That's what it is. No, it's true. We, I, I remember as a kid growing up, I'd get up and I'd get ready for school and my mom would be doing the dishes and she'd be talking to the dog. And I used to think, wow, that's weird. Mommy's not really listening. You can't understand. And then the dog died and she kept talking to the dog. Because she wasn't really talking to the dog. She's talking to herself. That's what she was doing. And we do this. We talk to ourselves. Now he's saying, preach to yourself. Preach to yourself the truths of God. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Remind yourself that God has got you. Remind yourself that he gave his son to die for you. Remind yourself that you are precious in God's sight. That he gave the most precious gift heaven had to offer for you. And he's not going to let you go. He's not going to turn you away. That he's going to receive you. We have to learn to preach to ourselves. Now, here's the next thing we need to do. We need to pray our pain. Pray our pain. Now, what do I mean by pray our pain? How do we pray our pain? You know, it's a very, again, this is a very biblical principle. We see this actually in the book of James, chapter 5. Uh, we read this about praying our pain. Can we call that verse up? James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Is it coming? James chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Why? Why? Because it's in our, again, we have to understand that when we are suffering, God wants to communicate with us and he wants us to share his pain, share our pain. Because when we do, when we verbalize it, when we take it to God and we're being honest with God, we're not just coming with flowery prayers and saying things, we're really just laying out our soul before God, God will speak to us. But oftentimes, I have discovered that God does not speak to me until I'm being very honest about my pain. 
That's when God speaks to me. When I'm being really honest about what I'm dealing with and what I'm struggling with and, and I have to verbalize it, and that's when God says, I've been waiting for you. I got it. See, God, again, he's communicating his presence to us. That's how we do this. We have to pray our pain, lay it out before the Lord. And I'm sure that's what Joseph was doing. He's still calling on the Lord. Lord, I don't know why I'm in this situation, but I'm going to trust you. I know that your promises are true. He's definitely clinging to God's promises because we see at the end of his life that he asked for his bones to be taken back to Israel. Why? Because he knew that the the people of Israel were going to grow, they were going to go into bondage, and then one day they were going to return to the promised land, their homeland. And he did that in faith, knowing it was going to occur, because he understood the promise that God had given to his ancestors. That's amazing faith. He was clinging to those promises. But he is, I mean, he's praying and he is relying on, the, relying on the Lord. Pray our pain. And then lastly, what we must do is persevere to the end. We have to persevere to the end. Now, Joseph persevered. He held on. He could have given in. He could have joined on. He could have been bitter. I, I don't know if you've ever read the, the book or seen the movie, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. Great book, great movie. And in this movie, it's a guy that's uh, put as a young man into prison, in this awful prison, for something he didn't do. And he's put in there for 10 years, and he plots, and he gets grows more and more bitter. He ends up escaping prison and getting all of this money. And then he goes out and exacts vengeance on all of those who hurt him. You don't see any of that with Joseph. Joseph is not doing that. Joseph is not going out going, man, I'm really going to get Potiphar's wife when I get out of here. You've got to wonder if the thought came into his mind. He didn't try to humiliate them. He didn't try to humiliate his brothers when they came to him, even though they had sold him into slavery. See, so we, we have to understand that. We have to persevere through the middle of this. If the Christian life is about anything, it's about perseverance. We have to learn to persevere. And Joseph is a great example and a foreshadowing, a type is what we call it, of Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate perseverer. We see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, the joy, he knew that joy was coming. Joy. He knew that no matter what he went through, it would be worth it because of the joy that waited on the other end. Some of you might wonder about that. You're like, is it worth it? Let me tell you right now, without, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it's worth it. You say, I'm, I, I'm afraid of following Jesus. I'm afraid of giving this up. I have a legacy. Well, you're going to abandon that legacy and you're going to get a greater legacy. Greater than anything else. Greater esteem. Greater honor. Because right now you might say, if I follow Jesus, there'll be shame. Jesus despised the shame and is seated at the right hand, a place of honor at God's right hand. And see, when we persevere to the end, we know that we will be exalted. We will be esteemed. We will be honored. We will not be shamed. It is they that will be shamed at the end of time. We have to understand that, keep that in our perspective as we're dealing with trials, as we're dealing with struggles, that God is using this situation to work something in us, to grow us, to hone us, and that He will exalt us to an honorable position of status and position. And you know, about all of these things that I have shared today, the only way that any of them are applicable or applicable to your life is if you know Jesus. That's the key to it all. It's knowing Christ. We can't just talk about God generically. 
Because there is, there is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. It is Jesus and Him alone. As He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. It's only through Him that we can really see this lens and trust in a time of trouble when we have Him, knowing that all of these truths are available to those who are His children and to those that are outside. Yes, He loves you, but He wants to show the supreme act of His love for you by having, him, having you know His Son. That's how he wants you to know. To to glorify God's name by believing in Jesus Christ who's the Savior of the world, the one that he has appointed, the one that had been prophesied, that had been prophesied in the Garden of Eden, that had been spoken through throughout the book of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. All of them are all speaking and pointing to the coming one who was to be the Savior of all humanity. It is him, he, who is our example He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is the one in whom we trust. And we all must trust in Him. And we all must do so to enter into that life. If you have a gift and it's available, you have to receive it. Not someone else. Not your family member. You have to receive it yourself. How do you do that? Scripture is very clear. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. Your life will be transformed. He will give you strength and power. He will give you authority, give you position, give you honor, give you dignity in ways that you could never have it before. He give you innocence. He cleanses you, removes the shame and guilt from your life, and he transforms you for the glory of his name. But you have to do it yourself. You have to call on the Lord and you say, Lord Jesus, save me. And he will save you. It's as simple as that. And then when he does save you, then he begins his work within you, a greater work beginning to transform you, making you into his child, letting you learn this power that you now have living in you. That power of, uh, that spirit of power, of love, of self-control that gives you authority, gives you position, gives you a new identity, transforms you and gives you a new legacy but you have to receive it first. For those that you might need to pray, or I'm going to pray here in a moment, and during that time of prayer, I'd ask you, if you need to pray that prayer, you need to just call on the Lord, do so. And maybe though you're here today and you said, you know what, I've done that before, but I'm still struggling and I'm a Christian. Well, let's pray that God would show his presence and reveal himself in your situation. And to know this, that you can trust in him. It might be a dark time. It might seem that the lights are out. But if you've learned to walk with him in the light, you know that you can navigate in the dark. You know that he will be with you the entire way. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God. Lord, today there may be some here, and I'm sure of it. They don't know you. That want to believe. Lord, there are others that are saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I pray that they might call on you now and they might say, Jesus is Lord. They might turn from their sins and receive the gift of salvation because they believe that you died on the cross for their sins and that you rose again so that they might be declared clean, righteous, honorable, powerful in your sight. So Lord, I pray. I pray then that you might say, do your work, Lord. Do your work. Draw people unto yourself. You have said within your word that if you are lifted up, 
you will draw amen unto yourself. Save, transform. And Lord, today, for those who are here that know you but yet are struggling, that are wanting to know more, uh, and, and that are feeling that you're not there, Lord, I pray that they might sense your presence and your peace. And I pray, Lord, that they might truly cast their burdens upon you because you care for them. Let them know that you are near, that you are the God who hears, that you are God who works on their behalf, that you are the God who knows them by name, that you know all the hairs upon their head. You know every single detail of their, their life. And you show the depth of your love by going to the cross for them. And Lord, for those who do not yet know you and wondering how you're going to work, Lord, I pray that you do answer their request, that you show yourself, that you might visit them in a dream or a vision, or you might show yourself to be God in the midst of their situation. Lord, we pray this all now in the powerful name of Jesus, at whose name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God that he is Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.